Welcome to Early Departures, episode number two. Uh, I'm Ashley. And I'm Phoebe. And if you haven't listened before, this is the podcast where we talk about where vacations and trips go wrong. So I'll get us started off today. I want to talk to you about Zambia because I was looking at Zambia. I thought, well, this would be a really cool place to go on vacation to next time. And then, of course, I did what I always do. And I started Googling stuff about Zambia. And then I saw this horrible story that came out that I'm going to tell you about now. Zambia, if you are not aware, borders Botswana and Zimbabwe. So if you're looking for it on a map, that's where you'll find it. In November 2017, Dutch tourist Wim van Grinsven, his daughter Ellen, and her boyfriend Eric traveled to Livingstone, Zambia for a 10-day trip to visit Wim's friend, a Belgian expat named Sabine Gosens. Sabine had been living in Africa for 10 years, managing a safari lodge in Tanzania, and Wim just loved Africa and traveled to the continent every year to visit Sabine. Um, He was actually a widower, so he, you know, this is how he spent his time, just enjoying his life, traveling. I mean, running a safari lodge in Africa does sound kind of cool. Sabine was living her best life in her African safari, kind of in the middle of nowhere place. She left Tanzania to visit with him in Zambia, and him, Ellen, and Eric... Uh, his daughter and the boyfriend, they were all visiting from the Netherlands. So they all meet up in Zambia in Livingstone. And the group was staying at the Maramba River Lodge, which is a fairly basic safari camp, which the price tag runs anywhere from $60 to $80 per night for a quote-unquote luxury tent (laughs) or a small cabin And I put the quotes on luxury because if you look up the uh, TripAdvisor reviews, quite a lot of people say they shouldn't call them luxury tents, they're not luxury tents, and that they are full of mosquitoes. (laughs) No. uh, Yeah. And uh, some people say it's not too nice. Other people say it's totally fine. Just don't call it luxury, basically. Right. There's nothing worse than being disappointed when you arrive at your accommodations. Like, if you know... Yeah. You're just going for like bare bones and you're good with that or you know ahead of time. Cool. Great. You know, doesn't have to yeah. be luxury. It can be pretty basic. But when you think you're walking into something else, oh, it's a bummer. Yeah, you think you're going glamping and really it's like a pup tent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This particular lodge is inside of a Zawa administrated land, which Zawa is an acronym for Zambia Wildlife Authority. And what that means is that the lodge was not outside of the perimeter of the safari area, but actually inside of it. So, you know, a lot of places, it'll be, uh, you know, they'll have like a gate to the area of the safari, and there'll be like a whole lot of hotels and like, you know, little resorts and camps that are outside of the gate. But this one is actually inside of the gates. In October 2019, roughly around the same time of year that the R4 tourists visited, a reviewer on TripAdvisor commented on the Maramba Lodge, quote, at this time of year, parentheses, dry season, hundreds of elephants cross from Zimbabwe into Zambia and normally gather through a section called the Elephant Corridor. Because this lodge sits within Mosi Oatunia Park, elephants and hippos frequently peruse the grounds, so you'll be asked to wait for a guard to escort you to your room at night, which sounds pretty... (laughs) pretty intense like pretty uh 
you know, you are in safari land, so there's no reason that elephants cannot just walk through your your campground. That wouldn't turn me off from staying there. I think it sounds mm-hmm. kind of cool, but yeah. hippos. Yeah. Well, Not good. No. Elephants, I'd thing. be like, oh, they're family oriented. That's fine. Hippos, I'd be like, oh, can you drive me? I don't want to walk. Look, before I started looking into this story... I felt the same way. I, when we were in Rwanda on that safari, I was like, can we not be so close to the hippos? And when we were in that the boat trip on the, the river, I was like, can we not get so close to the hippos? Because hippos are one of the most terrifying creatures in existence. But now I feel that way about elephants. <laughs> I'll tell you why. So the group checked in to the lodge on November 11th. And after freshening up with a shower and a change of clothes, the group sat on a small porch of their cabin. So they had one of the cabins, not the tents. Okay. They noticed, kind of in the distance, a herd of elephants passing through the area, which came to an area just down the road from them. And then a small group of elephants from that herd actually stopped and started to eat the, you know, like vegetation around that area. So Sabine moved closer to watch, and Ellen and her father followed. Ellen, Vim's daughter, reported that one of the elephants suddenly charged toward them. Quote, Sabine shouted, run, and we ran to our cottages. When I looked back, I saw Sabine lying on the floor, and the elephant was picking her up. We all shouted, stop, stop. My father came closer and made wild arm movements to distract that elephant. The elephant suddenly went after my father, who stumbled and was caught too. In a matter of minutes, Sabine and Vim were both dead. What? Yeah. So, does it the mention the story, distance that they are running from the elephant to the cottage? Um, it actually, you know, one one outlet did, and I think it was like, uh, I think the elephants themselves were fifty meters. I think I want to say from their cabin. Oh, how fast can they run? Do you know? Yeah, so elephants run around 25 to 30 miles per hour um, and can definitely outrun any human as far as like... I can barely get to six on the treadmill. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, they're just so big. And when they flip to being aggressive, you can't calm them down. The general story out of Zambian news outlets was that Sabine had gone too close to the animals to take a picture. However... Ellen, Vim's daughter, refutes that idea, stating, We did not have a camera or a phone on us. My father loved Africa. He was not a rash man who who took irresponsible risks. Sabine either. They just had bad luck. So all these news outlets in Zambia, and as well as some guy who's like a, you know, wildlife expert out there, they all were pushing this story of like, that Sabine was just like, hey, guys, let's get closer and take selfies with the elephant kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But she managed a safari camp in Tanzania. Like, she knew all of this stuff. You know, she wasn't just some, like, new tourist who had no idea how to act on safari lands. Right. And, and so, obviously, the elephants have been crossing the property for quite a while. Yeah. And they said also that they had, prior to going to Zambia, this group before had been in Botswana and they had seen hundreds of elephants and, you know, driving in safari vehicles, things like that, and had had no problem at all. So it basically, if she had just been an idiot, 
Like they, they, she probably would have got attacked in Botswana before even making it to Zambia. But I was really interested in all of this, you know, because it's like every once in a while you hear about these elephant attacks, but you know, it's like unless you're actually going on a safari somewhere, you don't. It's not something you think about. <laughs> and I feel uh, like I've never heard of them. I think of elephants what? as these like kind, gentle, family-oriented animals. I mean, they have funerals for each other. Mm. Yeah, they they are definitely extremely intelligent and extremely emotional, and they are very much like us as far as family goes. But you need to watch the National Geographic documentary, Elephant Rage. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Actually, it's probably not supposed to be on YouTube, but that's where I saw it. Okay. Um, so according to that documentary, around 500 people are killed by elephants every year. No way. The world. Yeah. No way. And that's, that's just 500 people that are killed and doesn't include all of the people who are attacked but manage to escape with their lives, which is a lot. I don't have a number for it, but it's a lot. And uh, the film opens up with these elephants just like tearing the shit out of this village in India. They said that the elephants... They're, like, destroying this village, but they weren't even trying to eat any of the food, you know. And it turns out that the people from that village had inadvertently killed one of the elephant calves, like a baby. Yeah. Uh, The evening before, when they were trying to deter them away from their crops. So they think these elephants were actually searching for the body of that calf in the village just like ripping houses apart, just trying to look inside of it. They were getting revenge, elephant revenge. Well, no, they were they were looking for the body because they could smell it. They had brought the elephant, like, yeah, to the village to like they want because you know. they wanted it for their funeral. It wasn't even just like oh, they were like ripping off a doorway. It was like they were ripping every house apart, like <laughs> crazy. That is um, crazy. You know, and elephants are massive. And so much power behind them. They're tall. They're huge. They're like, you know, over 13 feet tall. Um, I think it was something like five tons at their biggest, something like that. That sounds right. I feel like they're definitely over one to two. This makes me wonder. So you see a lot of like in in Thailand and other places. I I know we saw in India where you can ride ride an elephant and they're often abused and not taken care of. And it just makes me wonder why the heck these elephants who are, like, being held captive in poor conditions and being abused, like, why aren't they going after those people that aren't treating them oh, right? Well, oh, well, I'll tell you a little bit about that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, increasingly, experts on elephants are realizing that elephants are not only, you know, super intelligent, super emotional, but also appear to be developing PTSD-like symptoms just from the stress of living in shrinking habitats and from watching their family members being killed by poachers or wildlife rangers who sometimes they cull herds that grow too big for their own environment. Because, you know, if a herd grows too big and then there's not enough food source for all of them, these wildlife rangers will go out and they'll kill the basically the biggest and the oldest elephants because they take up the most resources. Aww. Um, yeah, which just sucks. It's like, what what are the options except for elephants are going to start starving or you have to kill them? Like, there has to be some, you know, some other way. Uh, which is crazy, too, when you think about 
most of the time we just hear about people trying to protect elephants from poachers. You know, you kind of have this idea that they like could be extinct soon. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out like, though their numbers are way lower than they used to be, it's still like in uh, Botswana, there's over 100,000 elephants. That's the biggest number in Africa for sure. Uh, but between Botswana, uh, Zambia, and Zimbabwe, there's something like 150,000 mm -hmm. elephants. And they actually said they're not entirely sure how, but these elephants that in Botswana, they're very protected. That's why they have the most amount of numbers there. Mm -hmm. um, they are somehow getting the word out <laughs> to other elephants who are living in more dangerous places. They're like, like hey, come to Botswana. Come. Yeah, they're like, come this way. Like, it's safe and it's cool. So their numbers are growing. And they, they you know, they will face problems with having enough food Right, overpopulation of them and resources. Yeah, yeah. that's really crazy. Uh, so the cycle of destruction in elephant attacks basically seems to go like this, according to that National Geographic documentary that I watched. First, farmers cut down forest for farmland. Elephant habitat and food supply shrinks. Elephants raid farmers' fields for food. And then farmers shoot at the elephants to stop them from taking the food. Elephants then fight back and maybe kill a farmhand or two. And then elephants realize that humans are easy to kill and become overall more aggressive toward them, sometimes attacking just random innocent people and experts believe that in some instances, elephants might actually be experiencing flashbacks like we see in human PTSD cases and that they could be causing elephants to just become aggressive, like seemingly out of nowhere. You know, like maybe they see maybe a guy in a blue shirt shot their dad when they were a baby and then they see a guy with a blue shirt and they just freak out and maul him. You know what I mean? Wow, that's crazy. I would never have thought that. But well, okay. do you remember? I was going to say Rwanda. Rwanda. They had the one elephant who was kind of like a loner and had kind of separated himself from the group, which is rare because elephants have a pack kind of family mentality. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if the poor guy had PTSD and he did something to the group and they like shunned him. Well, and if you remember, John Marie was telling us, uh, John Marie, the best safari guide, tour guide, anything guide in the world, uh, was telling us about the elephant that he that during the genocide uh or maybe right after that the that the military had taken that elephant and um kind of raised it in captivity yeah and then at, and then let it out into that national park and then when the elephant saw tourists he was fine but when he would see people in military clothes or greens like the the parks people that he would be anxious and like cagey and so i think it's that same thing of like ptsd you know they like the the old elephants have long memories and you know never forget and stuff like that like it's true something can happen to them when they're a kid you know just a little little baby elephant and then when they're older it's like they still remember it and they're still holding on to like that grudge <laughs> or whatever which is terrifying because to me at least the scariest thing in the world animals people whatever weather even is unpredictability like if something is not predictable that scares me and uh elephants or anything else that has ptsd is 
absolutely unpredictable. So no. yeah, totally. That is wild. Yeah. You have to send me a link so, for that Nat Geo so I can watch yeah. it. Will do. Oh, I definitely so did, the I didn't think of them as being hostile at all. I thought they were just Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know what? And that video, like, well, every everybody should watch that documentary. Again, it's called Elephant Rage, National Geographic. Um, because in the video, like I was almost like close to tears because they showed so many elephants like being killed. And oh. most of the footage of elephants being killed was by park rangers just like calling herds. And they are like flying in on these helicopters and just shooting elephants in the back of the head. Like, what the fuck? You know? And then, oh, That's there's awful. this one. The elephant, you know, like. I can't watch shoot that. in the back of the head. And then there's a little baby elephant like running around it, like <gasps> like pushing it. And like, what the fuck? You Never know? Mind. Like, Don't send me the link. Oh, I'll read, I'll read about it. That's sad. Yeah. But, it's, but like you but said, it, it's like you know. it's this double-edged sword. It's like the the herds are getting too big; they don't have the resources. But yeah. and and you know when you're calling a herd, like obviously, like <laughs> I don't ever want elephants to be killed. But if you have to do that, you know, should you be trying to make sure that you don't kill a baby elephant's mom? You know, right? Can you import them try, into try zoos? Try to take out that that weird loner, like the one in Rwanda, <laughs> that that none of the other elephants liked anyway. I don't know. Uh, but the documentary also noted two other situations which might make an elephant more prone to attacking. And that is either when an elephant is excited and in a mating sort of sexy mood. And the other instance, this is really sad because it goes along with the culling, is uh, young orphaned elephants who don't have older males around to keep them in line. I think it was in Tanzania, they had culled an older generation of elephants. And then these young adolescent sort of elephants, they were going around attacking rhinos, which they had never done before. And um, they were just super aggressive to everything and everyone. And it turned out that when they introduced some older, really big adult males, they took over immediately. (laughs) And they were like, y'all need to settle down, quit this bullshit. And it worked. (laughs) It was That's like, wild. Yeah, like no more rhinos got attacked. They just all settled down. And they were saying, you know, they need the older elephants around to, like, teach them how to be elephants, which is crazy. You know, it's uh, duh. <laughs> but still, it's like, wow. So um, I think I said earlier, apparently, once an elephant kills a human, they'll always be more dangerous to humans because it changes them and it makes them more aware that basically humans are nothing to be afraid of because they can be killed so easily. And that's an interesting point because in Livingstone, Zambia, where our Dutch and Belgian tourists were, a week before, a security guard, a local security guard, was trampled to death by an elephant. There were rumors, and I don't know how true they are because they were on like Zambian message boards, but rumors that it was the same elephant. Yeah, that was going to be my um, question if it was the same elephant. I mean, it'd be hard to tell. But to your point, yeah. once they kill, it's easier for them to kill again. Yeah. Uh, but So that's the rumor. Don't know if it's true or not. Uh, but, it, you know, it was just a week before. Um, which also begs the whole issue of, like, the Zambian press saying that, like, Sabine had just gotten too close because she wanted to take a picture. It's like, well, a week before a local security guard in town 
was trampled too. So like kind of double standard. Yeah. Um, so the connection fo- with food is also interesting since Vim's daughter, Ellen, specifically mentioned that the elephants had stopped to eat. And I wonder, you know, did they think Sabine was coming to chase them away from the food? Or is it possible that the elephant had a flashback to being, like, violently chased away from a food source in the past and then had one of those, like, PTSD moments and just flipped out at her? But, you know, according to the film, Zambia is also one of the countries with the highest numbers of attacks, which is not surprising because the proximity to Zimbabwe and Botswana where you know, the most elephants in Africa live. And aside from that, the dry season, which is when they're visiting, is known to be a time of migration due to food and water scarcity. So maybe it's also a time when uh, animals are just more desperate in general. Right. Like maybe more like easily irritated by like perceived things, you know? So Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. They're migrating. There's lack of water, lack of food. And yeah, they're they're probably stressed out in some way. I'm sure during migration, there's some level of stress for all animals. So yeah, maybe yeah. it's just like a couple of things that all align to this yeah. horrible tragedy. You know, yeah, but so the, the nice-ish ending of the story is that um, in Vuma Hill's tented camp, which is where... Uh, Sabine had been the manager, which is in just outside of Mikumi National Park in Tanzania. The staff and her friends all held a ceremony for her. And they apparently like sang and danced around her urn for hours. And then later they traveled up to the highest point of Uma Hills and scattered her ashes there. And her sister, uh, Evelyn, who came for the ceremony, uh, she said, quote, the wind took Sabine across the African plain where she wanted to be. It was incredibly beautiful and moving. Saying goodbye in this way will make sadness a little more bearable, which is just like, that's awesome. Sabine truly was like living her, you know, her true life. She was just like, I'm going to go manage a safari camp in Tanzania and have all these people who love me so much that when I die, they're going to like scatter my ashes from the mountaintop like that's pretty amazing no that is really nice it's kind of a, yeah like you said it's kind of like a beautiful ending to a sad story yep um so that's basically it i you know and i'll say like it that would not at all deter me from going to zambia or botswana or zimbabwe or anywhere else where elephants are you know i just i, I just like the hippos in rwanda i just wouldn't walk toward the giant animals i would stay in the car or i would stay on my porch (laughs) like totally and this makes me this makes me rethink like how safe and loving elephants are that (laughs) at the end of the day it's all just like you said it's all unpredictable and all you can do is hope for the best go in view it and follow all the rules follow the rules you know yeah just and and do your and do research you know like look yeah. up what time of year it is, where they are in their migration, or just their yeah. habitat. Well, you know, just be you know, aware of your surroundings. And there's so many elephants in Zambia. They actually have a uh, elephant cafe, 
And I saw this YouTube video, this girl who was like, oh, I'm scared of elephants. So I'm going to this cafe to like check it out and like try to get over my fear of elephants. And there they like go right up to the elephants and they like feed them peanuts and whatnot, whatever, and like take selfies with them, all this. And all I could think after like everything I've read about elephants is that they could seem so docile and like happy to be with you and blah, blah, blah. And then just flip their shit and knock you out, you know? So would you feed an elephant? So I've seen the same thing. I've watched videos. I've seen it on shows where they go Mm -hmm. to the elephant sanctuaries. They're feeding them, washing them. Would you do it? No, 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 not at all. I, I would think also, I was thinking about it when I was watching the documentary, that they, you know, even like in in India too, they have like um, sanctuaries for basically retired elephants who had been used for rides, who had been rescued, and I think that's great. But I also don't think that people should be around them because you're talking about animals that have been abused for you know who knows how long. You don't know if they could just flip their shit and attack you. If you want to help, like you should just send money. Like. <laughs> Send money. Find out what they need. Send money. Like, don't visit. You don't need to do that. That's just me, though. I mean, if you I'd visit. are out there I'd visit. and love it, go ahead. But, yeah, I wouldn't. If we, have, if we ever make it to Thailand and I go to a sanctuary, you'll have to sit in the car while I go. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. So that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Well, that's wild. I learned something new, that's for sure. Okay. So... I am taking us over to Spain. So every country has their own epic hiking trail. You know, we have the Appalachian Trail. We have the Pacific, was it Pacific Crest? Yeah. Uh, So yeah, every country has their own epic trail. Here in the U.S. we have a few. But in Spain, there is one. It's called the Camino de Santiago. It is a 33-day trek across northern Spain. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Okay. So this is a 33-day trek across northern Spain. It, um... As a religious trek, it is one of the most important Christian pilgrimages that was during the Middle Ages, and there's various routes, so it's pretty historic. Uh-huh. Many follow its routes as a form of a spiritual path or a retreat for spiritual growth, but it's also popular with hiking and cycling enthusiasts, and you do organized tours as well. Uh-huh. Um, so there is Denise Theam, or Theme, Denise Theme from Arizona had set out to conquer this trek in 2015. Unfortunately, she disappeared on April 5th, 2015, on Easter Sunday, about one month after she arrived in Spain to walk this pilgrimage route. Denise was 41, and she had recently quit her job in Phoenix the previous year to travel the world. She was last seen near the town of Astorga. Her family and Spanish authorities immediately started to search for her and any clues of what may have happened to her. Now, I know this progressed really quick, like, hey, there's a hiking trail, there's this woman, and... Wow, she disappeared. But yeah. there's a there's a lot of buildup that goes with it. So as I mentioned, she went missing on Easter Sunday. Several weeks had passed without any news of her disappearance or any clues about what had happened to her. There's an online form dedicated to sharing information about the Camino de Santiago trek. And they posted uh-huh. in their form advertising to other pilgrims walking the route to not walk alone on this specific 15-mile stretch where she went missing and kind of just giving everyone a heads up. So the form- Wait, did they say why not to walk on this 15-mile track or uh, stretch? Yes. Yeah. They kind of said, hey, a woman went missing. Be careful. Don't walk oh, alone. Okay. 
There are many people that do do this hike alone, and there's several yeah. that do it in groups. But it's common that you meet up with a pack of people and you'll kind of walk s- specific stretches with them. Okay. Or, or you'll kind of meet them in a hostel in one of the towns, maybe carry on. So they just said, hey, it's been a while. We don't have any clues. Be careful on this specific mm. stretch. So the form administrator said in the 10 years of running the form, it was the first time he had ever sent out a warning to the group in which he highlighted the credible reports about the improper behavior towards women along the route. So not only did she go missing, but there were some other things happening within that 15-mile stretch that made him feel like he needed to put out a a warning. And again, in the first time in 15 years of running this form... Did he feel like it was important to kind of send out a warning to people? God. Some of the other pilgrims who had previously walked the trail started to come forward with their own accounts of dangerous encounters on the same section where Denise had disappeared. Hmm. Wow. So I'm going to share a couple stories where people replied and engaged in the form once he sent out the warning. Uh One, One pilgrim walking detailed how she was accosted by a mountain biker who tried to repeatedly grab her breast. The incident took place one day before and some 25 miles from where Denise had last been seen. So just the day before her last sighting and 25 miles from there, a woman was accosted by a mountain biker. Do you know what's crazy is when you said mountain biker, I totally thought you were going to say mountain lion. Mountain biker trying to grab your breasts is so much worse. Terrifying. She so said, and, and this part is kind of terrifying too. Uh, she had only told a few people about what happened to her, but after hearing about the disappearance of Denise, she began speaking out. So mm-hmm. as I read that, it's like, well, so many other women may have had, or not just women, just other hikers who are hiking alone may have had something happen to them and kind of never spoke up about it. And fortunately, yeah. this incident kind of triggered that and started to get people to speak up because I think that made a big impact on things. So she didn't want to speak up because most pilgrims are having such an amazing time. You don't want to darken their experience with such a scary story. But now I feel like I should have told more people. So there was another woman, Barbara, was six years old from Germany, was walking on her own near Agastora, said she she was passed very slowly four times by a white car. At one point, the car stopped 15 meters ahead of her and a man got out of the car. She said, it was kind of strange. I was trying not to look at him. I think he was masturbating. End quote. That's what she said. She said, from there, she picked up the pace, hoping to catch up to four Irish hikers ahead of her on the trail. The Irish group had noticed the car and stopped to wait for her. Go like those people. Like, be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of who's hiking near you. Like, I think that's awesome that there was people near her. So, yeah. The Irish group had noticed the car and stopped to wait for her. She said, I think the guy saw them and he disappeared and didn't come back. Yet worried for her safety, the Irish the Irish hiker had snapped a picture of the car and Barbara sent it into the Spanish police after she heard about Denise's disappearance. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. But also scary that, again, like this is all happening within like a 15 to 20 mile stretch on this 33 day hike. Yeah. It's just like also really... I don't know, irritating injustice in the world that like some of us are just trying to go out there and like hike on these peaceful solo journeys, being out in nature, etc. And then you have some like just assholes who are just there to fuck with people. And it's so uncool. Yeah. So three weeks after uh, Denise disappeared, another pilgrim chimed in on the form posting her own experience in the area. 
Eight months earlier, she had taken an alternative route listed in her guide, turning off on the main route between Agastor and El Ganso and following what she called a fake arrow marked on the trail. Oh, my God. She said, on the wrong path, a masked man attacked me with a stun gun. However, Jesus Christ, I was able to free myself and run away, she wrote, identifying herself on the form only as Josie from Germany. Spanish police were able to confirm that someone had been arrested in connection with that case. Court authorities, citing privacy reasons, would not say whether the arrested person had been charged. Mm -hmm. So this is all just nuts and terrifying. And I think if I was getting ready to prepare for this trip and I was reading all of this, there's no way I'm going. (laughs) Well, certainly, I mean, certainly no way I would be going by myself, uh, which is really a shame because a lot of people, you know, like that's their thing in life they love to do is solo hike. And I I personally would never do it for so many reasons, but it sucks that other people might want to and can't, Mm -hmm. you know, because assholes putting fake fucking arrows up. (laughs) What the shit is that? I know. Almost five months after Denise disappeared, there was finally a break in the case when police arrested Miguel Angel Menunos. Miguel became a suspect after it was revealed that he had changed $1,000 in cash at a local bank shortly after her disappearance. He was identified from the bank's CCTV footage, but then disappeared from his shack in Castelrio de los Povarzos in Lyon. I probably butchered the pronunciation of that completely. I mean, good good effort. Okay, according to the police, when he was questioned on Friday, the suspect led them straight to the shack where Denise's remains were found. Oh, my God. At the time of his arrest, the accused claimed that Denise appeared on his property lost and asking for help trying to find her way back to the pilgrimage route. Oh, oh that's so messed up. He claims she asked him to show her the way and then got nervous, and somehow, this has not been made clear, it ended with him hitting her, his lawyer said. Oh, oh yeah. Just uh, somehow. Casually somehow got I nervous and just hit her. One. Police said that they believe the perpetrator may have painted fake yellow arrows to use, <sighs> use to mark the pilgrimage route to divert unsuspecting pilgrims off the official track towards his house which makes it even more terrifying about the woman who said it happened to her eight months earlier. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. I mean, it's easy enough to get, like, lost on a trail when people are not putting fake arrows up. That's just terrifying. Miguel's lawyer said his client had hit the victim with a stick, and when she fell to the ground, he hit her on the head with a stone. Oh, my God. After determining that she had stopped breathing, he then buried her in the front of his house. This is what his lawyer is saying in in the court reports from an article I read. He buried her in front of the house, and then he later dug her up and carried her to a more secluded area of farmland and reburied her. She was naked, and I'm not sure why, said the lawyer. He burned her clothes and her backpack. Police investigators at the time said they believed that he may have removed her hands in an attempt to hinder her identification and possible forensic traces of the attack that may have been under her fingernails from the struggle. Oh, my God. After they went to his property, DNA tests confirmed that the remains were hers, and the postmortem report stated that she had received a blow to the head that had most probably caused her death. 
I don't believe they ever found her hands. Jesus. Which is just disgusting and terrifying. There was a three-week trial in which more than 100 witnesses were called. The jury heard testimony that several other women had been harassed by him as they walked the same route. Oh, my God. They must have felt like, holy shit, that I could be dead right now, like, when when the story came out. Totally. And it's like we talked about in an earlier episode of, like, why me? Why not them? Why them? Why not me? Yeah. Like, what is it called? Survivor's guilt? Yeah. Um, feeling like you got lucky, but also feeling so horrible for someone else. But yeah, absolutely horrible. Two years later to the day that Denise went missing, a, jur- a jury found him guilty of her murder. And he's sitting in jail for it now. Oh, good. At least it's, there's that. Yeah. there. I mean, I wouldn't call it justice, but thankfully someone's been caught. But the more terrifying part yeah. is how many instances of abuse and harassment happened on this section of the trail that's documented but imagine what hasn't been documented yeah Yeah. you know absolutely terrifying i mean but i mean you know uh, awesome that they even caught the right person uh because that's something i think about hiking is that like people could just go missing all the time while they're hiking and people go oh well they were hiking maybe it was a wild animal maybe they got lost and ran out of water whatever and there's probably a lot of instances where people are presumed dead on a hiking trail because of natural things but really maybe were murdered and we'll just never know you know what i mean yeah no, totally. Yeah, I, I think it's just great that so many people, one, I think it's great that the form administrator spoke up and issued a warning. Like he said, he's never done it before. I'm sure that was like an uneasy feeling to have to go and, as the one woman say, share such a scary thing to people who are supposed to be on this like spiritual great journey. It's also great that yeah. all these other people spoke up. Yeah. I wonder yeah. I wonder what happened if more of these women or just people in general, I mean, it's mostly women that responded, but... Mm-hmm. If more people spoke up when all the instances happened versus later. And I never really followed up to see if the gentleman who was arrested uh, for changing the signs with the stun gun and attacking them with the stun gun was the same the same guy, but or if he had right. any kind of connection. They said yeah. he was arrested, so I'm assuming it's not, but I wonder what kind of connection they had with each other. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too, is when you're coming out... Like the forum administrator coming out and saying it might be dangerous, don't go alone through this 50-mile stretch, whatever, that you're also playing with the economy in that area, which I'm sure is highly based around hikers, because usually it is in places like that. And so it's like, if you deter people from going there, then you're also risking like economic loss for everybody who lives there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, if you got crazy people living in your area, like clean that shit up too first. Yeah. There's some more articles out there about her journey and people who interacted with her on the trail before she disappeared. One gentleman she met in a hostel, I believe they shared dinner together and shared stories. It took him a while to come out and talk and share his story of meeting her. It's pretty nice, but mm. for the sake of kind of keeping this condensed to what happened on the trail. But if you want to read more, there's there's quite a few more articles out mm-hmm. there, more about the impact she had on the people that she met while she was traveling. Um, there's some pictures shared there as well, too. So she, and you said she was from Arizona, is that right? Yes. 
And and it's like that's heartbreaking that she had just like forty one years old. I think yep. you mm-hmm. said and like forty one years old, quitting my job to travel, and then like boom, that's it. Good for her for sure that she did that, you know. Mm-hmm. But that sucks too. And it definitely makes. I mean, I'm not. I hike alone locally with my dog. I would never do it until I got the dog. I feel safer with the dog. Not that yeah. he is any, not that he's a guard <laughs> dog or vicious or anything. He'd probably cower if someone attacked me. But I don't think I could do longer than an afternoon hike alone. There's been times when I've yeah. been out there hiking and it, does, it gets a little eerie. Like no one knows exactly yeah. where you are on the trail. You know, I try to give someone a heads up that I'm hiking alone, but you just never know who's out there. Yeah, I mean that and like, you know, for me personally, I, I do not ever hike alone and I hate the idea of it. Mostly because I am much more concerned that I am going to injure myself because I'm clumsy and whatnot. And uh, that I'll have, you know, like, oh, I happen to be in an area with no cell reception. And now I'm going to lay at the bottom of this ravine and die. (laughs) You know, like, I'm scared of other people, for sure, as well, but more afraid of myself. Totally. That's a valid fear. And even with hiking with the dog, I've thought to myself, what if he breaks a leg? I can't carry 60 pounds out of the woods. Now, I'm sure a fight or flight would come and like, this is my baby. I would get him out. I don't out. know. I mean, but you think about 71 pounds. There's no way. Like, I can't even drag him for more than five feet. Like, no. Yeah. No but way. no, I agree. I've thought about that, too. It, it's a safety issue. It's the the safety issue of an environment you hurt yourself is there someone out there i mean but yeah. i just can't so i'm one of those unfortunate people that just have to wait around until somebody wants to or is free to come hiking with me but you know even in that situation i can imagine on that specific trail in spain especially knowing what i know now I don't even think i would feel safe if it was like me and you together i think i need even more people than that uh to feel safe like because i'm sure some crazy person if they put up some fake yellow arrows and you and i went and followed it that guy could easily incapacitate one of us while the other one isn't paying attention or the other one's in the bathroom or whatever and then yeah you're basically alone (laughs) right i mean even in pairs it still can happen but i think whether it's scary person or the environment and you know protecting yourself just be prepared you know pack mace pack a first aid kit have a whistle you know that's one thing i've learned just going hiking alone even though it's like you know short three or five mile trips but like i can't go without a granola bar and a whistle because you never know what's gonna happen to your point i could break my ankle it's like a whistle a granola bar something and just like if someone's gonna attack you have some mace have some one of those like keychain tools i don't know just be prepared (laughs) okay First of all, I 100% thought that you're going to say a whistle, a, a grenade instead of a granola bar. I was like, all right, don't give people the wrong idea about Americans. We just take grenades with us when we go hiking, you know. No, I take um, granola. Yeah, granola, not grenades. <laughs> um, but also, uh, that's that's kind of a problem, too, when you go hiking in other countries. A lot of places, mace is not legal uh weapons of any kind aren't legal and so i would almost bet mace is probably not legal uh anywhere and probably not on hiking trails oh 
And sometimes it's always good to get a guide. You know, we hiked uh, in Northern Africa and we hired a guide. I guess at some level, sense of security, people that speak the local language, people that know people, know the route. Yeah. That's always beneficial sure. too. But yeah. I guess you never know. You may get a really shitty guide who's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Let's we'll throw that so, one out there. But, you know, most of the time, the guides are, uh, that's their career. And so they're not going to get repeat clients um, unless or they word, of, word of mouth clients if they kill their clients. So. Unless they snap like the elephants. They're like, you know what? Today's the day. Might be something I need to research now. Guides gone yeah. wrong. Well, that's it for this episode. Go out, book a trip, go on an adventure. Just woo be woo. safe. All right, always try to depart on time, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye. You really wouldn't go to an elephant sanctuary, though? Uh, Well, you know, I just don't, I don't know that it's worth it. No, we're going. We're going. I got to feed an elephant a banana.